Gracious God, as we come before you today, may the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. May even the words that I don't say, the things that we need to hear the most, may we hear what it is that you have to say to us. Let me get out of the way. Let you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and pour it upon each one of us now. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And the people of God said together, Amen. A little bird told me that this morning that uh, Don and Nellie Jolly would have been married for 49 years this Wednesday. And so we celebrate, even though that's a separation, we celebrate the heavenly gathering together of the angels who certainly come down at the same time and together for that. So we want to celebrate that. Did you bring your list of all the songs you've got picked out for the rest of the summer? Anybody bring a list? You start working on that. I want you to bring a list. You, this is like, think about this like the sweet 16, in this case the sweet 7 of songs in your bracket. By the way, there is a bracket out there. I saw it of all the songs. People put all these songs, lined them all up, and have a bracket going down to it. So there are some things in there that you would expect to be in there, just like you'd see in the sweet 16 and some teams that... You thought they would make it, and they didn't. You'd be surprised how the rest of this turns out. So be writing it down. The first ones were easy. I mean, amazing grace. If you didn't get that as number one, then you're out of the game. Number two is holy, holy, holy. I gave you that the first thing. Number three, be thou my vision. So now it's going to get a lot harder to try and figure out what four, five, six, and seven are. But I want you to take your best shot at it and bring it with you when you come so we can compare notes. Robert Robinson was born in Norfolk, England on September 27, 1735. In 1743, when Robert was just eight years old, he lost his father. And in 1749, at age 14, his mom didn't know what else to do with him, and she sent him to a school to be a barber in London. So picture this, an out-of-control teenager... Let's put some sharp instruments in his hands and let's see what happens. Not exactly the best. Angry, bitter, fatherless. Robert rebelled in excess through his teenage years through drinking and gambling and robbing people. You know, the usual rebellious teenager, right? Not really. So one night, with some friends, he goes to see a fortune teller. And the bleary-eyed gypsy pointed a quivering finger and said, And you, young man, you will live to see your children and your grandchildren. Robert suddenly paled and said, She's too drunk to know what she's saying. Leave her alone. Let's go. But her words haunted him. And he thought about how he would have to change his whole way of living. And that very night, half in fun and half seriously, he took his gang to an open-air revival service nearby where the famous evangelist George Whitfield was preaching. We'll go down and laugh at the poor deluded Methodist, he told them. However, at the age of 17, God broke into his heart through the gospel preaching of that deluded Methodist. Whitfield's message convicted him. 
And almost three long years of spiritual turmoil later, he professed faith in Christ in 1755. And shortly afterwards, at age 20, joining the Methodists and feeling the call to preach, Robert was appointed by John Wesley himself to the Calvinist Methodist Chapel. He would change denominations several times more. And then three years after his marvelous conversion, at the young age of 23, he penned his spiritual autobiography in the words of our number four hymn. He was preaching Pentecost Sunday, and he asked the Holy Spirit to help him write a hymn that would ask God to flood into our hearts with his strings of mercy and keep us faithful to him enable us to sing praises to him and this was the answer to his prayer anybody know what our number four hymn is did you look it up Jan okay thank you Jan did anybody know it before they looked it up <laughs> come thou font of every blessing not font like you have but fount come thou fount of every blessing fonts are on your computer a fount is a little thing just like that the tune is traditional American melody it's almost as famous as the words itself but there is no composer given it's identified as a new tune in the hymnal The hymn praises the Lord as the source of everything good. God's amazing grace flows to us through Jesus, not only in our salvation, but in every single good gift that we receive from God's hand. James writes, Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of the heavenly lights. The first stanza points out that the Lord is the fount of every blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Robinson opens his hymn with a testimonial of praise and adoration. He has come to know the living God and he is so exuberant with joy that he can hardly contain himself. He invites God, the fount of every blessing, to take his heart and to teach him how to sing with grace. Psalm 5.11 says, But let all who take refuge in you celebrate. Let them sing out loud forever! Exclamation point. You see. Like David, Robert had taken refuge in the grace of God. It saved him from being lost and separated from God for all eternity. And his new heart of flesh compels him to sing about this grace, showing us that God had opened a fountain for our salvation. Amen? That God opened a fountain for our salvation. Zechariah 13.1 says, On that day a fountain will open to cleanse the sin and impurity of David's house and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The fountain that Zechariah speaks of refers to huge, gushing, natural springs. Maybe you've seen those where so much water is coming up. 
And he predicts a time is coming when a fountain will be opened that will wash away once and for all all of Israel's sin and impurity. Jesus also picks up on Zechariah's theme with the woman at the well. When he offers her living water, which is like an artesian well that never runs dry. It's what he's talking about in those verses. An artesian well, you may have seen these. We've been to Saratoga Springs. We've seen these wells that come up from the ground and they come past the, and they come past the rock and they just keep bubbling up. You can't stop them. And Jesus is saying that God's forgiving grace is like an aquifer of love that produces a fountain. And that fountain turns into never-ending ceasing streams of mercy that, blow, that flow to the beneficiaries of God's grace. And once experienced, this grace puts our heart in tune with God. Amen? That this grace connects us together. And maybe you don't, so you don't remember this, but it used to be before we had Bluetooth in our cars, we had to be able to get our player or, or our whatever to the car different ways. You had to use an aftermarket adapter and a transmitter through your radio. I know some of you are aghast at such things like this, but we actually had to have things. Remember the cassette tape you had to push in there with the wire on it too? That was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. And the key to making the whole thing work, by the way, some of you were fancy people. You had the monster one over there with the little digital stuff on it and paid like 50 bucks for that thing. I had the one at the very bottom that had like just click over to the four frequencies you got and it doesn't work, you're out of luck. That's the one I had. But the key was making that whole thing work was having the radio and the device on the same frequency. And that just seemed so easy to do, right? So easy. And if the two were off by even 0.1 difference, then it wouldn't work. Talk about frustration and road rage when you couldn't do it. And some of you had the same frequency, and it still, because the station was too strong, would still blast it out, and you still couldn't hear anything. Right, Dan? It was worthless sometimes especially in big cities. How much difference is there between our heart and God's? I mean, think about that. Certainly there's more than 0.1 difference between our heart and God's. I mean, the song is really saying, God, tune my heart to sing thy grace. God, tune me to the same frequency so I can actually hear what you're trying to say to me. See? Then God's will becomes our will. God's agenda becomes our agenda. God's desires become our desires. Are you fully drinking from the fountain of God? From the well that never runs dry? from that fountain of running and living water. And then he says, this fount of blessings calls for songs of loudest praise. Once we have this fountain, then it calls for songs of loudest praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. They don't write words like that anymore, do they? Which is why it's a number four in our list. Sometimes in the praise service, we lose out on the depth of the theology of the language of our God. I love praise music. I also love traditional music too. 
But I can guarantee you that most praise songs don't mind the depths of our theology like the songs that we would sing for hundreds and hundreds of years. Maybe we should continue to make sure that even in the midst of our experience of bringing in the new, that we figure out ways to still bring in the words of the old, of the classic. I mean, this man's writing out of his experience. So let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him, which is the fruit from our lips that confesses his name, Hebrews 13, 15 says. That's the fruit of our lips, this confession, this praise. We're really praising, not just going through the motions, but we actually praise God for all of God's blessings. You see, God's fountain of grace is a blessing to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places of Christ. That's the scripture for today. I can't work any more of it in because there's so much else going on in this service and the sermon. But go back and read that whole scripture from Ephesians and you'll see the blessing. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Robinson ends the first stanza with a note of triumph as he praises the mount. And what is the mount? Calvary. The mount of Calvary. The most important hill in the world. He has climbed the hill of Calvary and firmly planted his feet upon the mount of God's redeeming love. The second stanza points out that the Lord is our helper. Say the Lord is our helper. Make sure you're still alive. Lord is our helper. Good. You're still with me. It's awesome. The Lord is our helper. And I'm taking the stanza a little bit out of order. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive home. See, Robinson begins his second stanza by remembering how he arrived at Calvary. It was not by his own desire, by his own power or ability. He understands his salvation is by thy help. Whose help? God's. And it's only by thy good pleasure he will safely arrive at home. He understands that. And to commemorate this moment of grace when God came pouring into his life like a great fountain breaking forth, Robinson is going to raise his spiritual Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And of course we all know who Ebenezer is, so I don't have to explain that, right? You know who Ebenezer is, right? No, there he is, Ebenezer Scrooge. Of course, what other Ebenezer do you know in your life? No, not that Ebenezer. So the question is, and you never say it, you never, you sing the song and you think it every time you sing it, what is an Ebenezer? Not just a rock. This is an Ebenezer. More than one rock. I'll explain more about that in a minute. Robinson understands the great truth that was recaptured by the Protestant Reformation, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith, by Christ alone. Amen? 
what we know. And that God is the author and the finisher, finisher of our salvation. You see, many of the hymns we're talking about this summer contain specific scriptural allusions. And they seek to help us apply those allusions, allusions to us. If you look at the scripture each week, you might begin to figure out what it is that the actual hymn is because the clues are all there. And it seems like come thou font of every blessing is a perfect example of this. Because he's referring to an event in the life of Samuel. From 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 12 or so. And you're welcome to look it up later. But here's the gist of it. The Hebrews had once again fallen into sin. And they abandoned the worship of Jehovah. And Samuel challenged the people of Israel to prove their loyalty to the Lord by abandoning their foreign gods and turning to the Lord in the Scripture. And Samuel next summoned the people of Mizpah, people to Mizpah, some seven miles north of Jerusalem. And there he prayed for them and offered sacrifice to the Lord on their behalf when the Philistines learned of the assembly. And they attacked Israel at Mizpah. But the Lord, in a mighty demonstration of power, defeated the Philistines right there in front of Israel. And in commemoration of this great triumph, Samuel Samuel erected on a site, on a monument which he called Ebenezer. Say Ebenezer. It's Ebenezer, not Ebenezer. That's the guy who I just showed you a picture of. Ebenezer is how you say it. Literally, it means stone of God's help. That's what it means. Stone of God's help. That God is our great helper. And so I have some Ebenezers for you today that I want to actually help me pass out. Over there. Stephen, start this one over here if you would and make sure everybody gets one. Go that direct over there. Megan, you're starting here and work our way through. Just leave the stone in your hand. Just kind of look at it and feel it. You see, in Ebenezer is a memorial you set up as a stone showing and reminding of God's protection and God's guidance and God's faithfulness. Like this. These are Ebenezers. They are stones that are lined up and put together. And Louise did a magnificent job. She had a much taller one but didn't want to stay the way she wanted it. You'll see them places too. If you ever see stacked stones somewhere, that's what it is. Maybe it's like the stacked stones. But a lot of times it means something. That's what Robert Robinson was saying. God, I'm helpless. But you know what, God, you can help me. And so the question as you receive this Ebenezer today is to think about this. What are your Ebenezer moments? Have you mentally or physically marked moments of God's faithfulness so that when your life gets hard and uncertain, 
You can pull those reminders out. You can recall those moments. You can go back to those memorial stones. You now have an Ebenezer. You can mark on it. You can write on it. A lot of stones actually written this way. You can pick up these stones just like this to say God has brought us or brought me this far. 1 Samuel 7, 12. And then we learn that God's help rescues us from danger. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. When we were strangers to God, while we were like lost sheep that are wandering, literally fleeing, from the fold of God. Thank you, Deb. Thanks, Stephen. God sent His Son to become the shepherd of our souls. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? The songs we sang today talked all about that. Reckless love, what's it about? Sheep who've left the fold. The means of grace came when he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. God interposed Christ's precious blood between us and God's wrath as Robert understood it. Ephesians 2.13, But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you were once were so far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. J.R.W. Stott has said that grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. I mean, like Robert, you and I understand that we've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Deliverance can come only through the defeat of our old life. Amen? You can't live an old life with your new life. It will not work. The new life has to be what you live, not your old one. You can't keep them both going at the same time. See, stanza three points out our great debt to Christ. And that that grace turns us into debtors. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's that grace that ought to constrain us daily to bind ourselves to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And it's that grace that keeps us from wandering. He goes on, Let thy goodness like a fetter. You all know what a fetter is, right? Just hold on. Bind my wandering heart to thee. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what a fetter is? Chain. Shackle. It's a restraint. Robert is saying, you've got to shackle me. Chain me. Bind me. Because my heart will wander. Amen? And listen, notice what he says to bind me with. Not force, not threat, not anger, but God's goodness. That the goodness of God would bind us so tightly and so closely to God that we would see that there's no goodness outside of him. That there's no other place we would want to possibly go. Oh God, would you make it so that your promises 
Your commandments are so beautiful and living, giving to us what we would say, where else we want to go. I don't want to go anywhere else. That's what Robert is saying. Your promises are so good. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want anything else. But then he goes on. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God, I don't love you as I ought to. I know you're the highest thing, and yet I go for the lowest things. Things that are lower than you, God, that's what I go after, not the highest things. I often choose lesser things in place of you. I know that. We need this third verse because it's a sobering reminder of where our hearts will go. Not might go, not could go but will they, where they will go without the grace of God. But this verse is also a lifeline. We make this confession that our hearts are prone to wander when we finally own up to that. Even when I sing it, you know I feel it. When I sing that verse, I feel it. Do you feel it when you sing that verse? When you sing those words and it's like it's a, an expression of your confession of that? It's the most freeing confession because we don't have to pretend anymore and we can now run to God's grace and receive the gift we really need. Amen? That we can admit that we are prone to wander. Do you feel yourself drifting, wandering in your walk with God? Do the temptations feel too strong or the distractions too compelling? Has life become so busy you can't find time for God? People say this all the time. I just don't really have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to come to church on Sunday morning. I don't have time to do these things. Really? Is that really the problem? Or is it that everything else claims our time? And we don't spend much time trying to figure out how it is to put the first things first and let everything else sort itself out. It's more of a time management thing than it is about actually having enough time if we're honest about it. See, the good news is that all those whom God has called by grace, God is daily keeping in that same grace until he brings them home. That God promises to seal and finish what he's begun in our hearts and lives. And this is about as much time as I had. And I kept wrestling with how... Do I go longer? But how do I leave his story out? Because Robert's story wasn't finished. And so I'm getting you bonus minutes because you need to hear the rest of the story. Years later, Robert began to suffer bouts of depression and began to doubt his faith. He left his church and abandoned his call. One day he was on a coach and a young woman got up and sat next to him. She had just become a Christian and she was trying to share her faith with him. And he said, I don't want to hear it. She said, let me read you something that helped me so much. Maybe it'll help you. Come thou font of every blessings. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Robert, sitting next to her, began to weep. 
And then it turned to sobs. And he said, oh, madam, I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to mean those words as you're saying them. Because you see, I'm the person who wrote those words. And I cannot get back to God. He began to tell her about his depression and this brand new Christian woman who said to this man, Oh no, sir, no, no. Look, it's right here. Streams of mercy never ceasing. It was at that point that he began to pray and ask God to forgive them. And he began his journey back to the Lord. Robert eventually returned to London and was scheduled to preach at a church in London on Sunday when on that Saturday night before... The night before he was to preach at 54, he died in his sleep. So Robert lived out his song and found out in the end what we do when our hearts are prone to wander. He says we offer our hearts to God. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And you have to do that quickly. Do you know why? Because our hearts are so prone to wander. So God, take my heart and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Do you need to have God take your heart and seal it for the courts above? Are you tired of wandering? Have you been in the faith and then slowly slipped away like Robert did? Because I think the the most powerful part of his story is at the end. This isn't a hymn in a book somewhere. This is a man's story of grace and forgiveness and wandering and finding. And maybe that's your story too. Whether it's becoming a Christian or reclaiming what it means to be a Christian in your life, to be a follower of Christ. He wants you to do that today. Robert would be pleased to know that his hymn so many years later, is still number four. It's changed people's lives, and we still sing it, and we still feel the power of his story. Thank you, Robert, for what you wrote. May each one of us live into it. Amen. And keep your Ebenezer. Write something on it if you wish, or just keep it. And remember that God has brought you safe thus far. It's in the body of Christ we remember the blessing we received. It is in the blood of Christ that we know that we have been forgiven and released. The same way that Robert found that at the age of 17.
As we come forward to receive this morning, may we consider all of the things that Robert has said to us through this as we hear once again, because the praise team is going to be able to do it in a second. And, and as we do the, hear those words again, really think about what that means to you. Which words of this hymn speak to you the most at this place in your life? And whatever it is, kneel before the Lord our God this morning and bring that. Bring that. Is it just praise and blessing? It's awesome. Are you wandering? Do you need to hear some melodious sonnet, some song of life that will revive you and, and give you new strength and a new connection with God? What part of this hymn speaks to you the most and is God trying to tell you the most? What those are coming forward to serve as we pray over these elements this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for this bread and for this juice. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for the remembrance we have this morning. So Lord, pour your spirit into this bread and this juice now. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ who has redeemed us and redeemed the world. May we be in service to that world. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And people of God said together, Amen. this fount of every blessing praise in our hearts this morning
verse all together one more time. If you'll stand with us and let's sing that together. Oh, to grace. Oh, to grace, how great a